Good morning. We're going to look at our next passage in Mark. Uh, if you'll please turn in your Bibles to Mark 14. Um, but before we start to read that, let me just say how uh, thankful I am for all of you. Um, it's as I think back in the path that God has paved in uh, you and I uh, planting this church together, there's been a lot of things that have gone on. What is most exciting and encouraging to me is to see all of you uh, building relationships with each one of you, which, with the people around you, uh, and spending time with them and encouraging each other. I don't know all about it, which is also an encouraging thing to me, is that I hear that, oh, these people are getting together. This family had this family over. Uh, that is a wonderful thing uh, that you have created within our community. And just know that I am very, very thankful for that. And as we continue to grow, we have a lot of moving parts in our church. And I would encourage you to help serve within our church, of whether it's the nursery or the setup and tear down, uh, musically if you're helpful. But as we grow, we have lots of moving parts, and uh, we'd love for you to serve in that area. But I just wanted to uh, encourage you that I am thankful for your investment in this church plant as we continue to grow. Well, we're going to look at... Um, uh, Jesus in the, the trial that he grows, goes through. And I'm also going to add uh, Peter, uh, the section of Peter where he denies Christ. Because I think it, it, both of these situations point to one thing. And we'll look at that as we go through this passage. So if you, there's Bibles where you're seated on page 553. Uh, Mark 14, and I'll begin reading at verse uh, 53. And I'll read the rest of the chapter. Uh, This is the Word of God. It's good for our encouragement, uh, conviction. It's good for our comfort. So as we read, we understand this is how God speaks to us. It's through His Word. It says, And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But when they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build it not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. 
But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began saying to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. As we look at this passage this morning, we look at uh, the unjust trial that Jesus is really dragged through. And the court of these men uh, threatened by Jesus, how they attack him unjustly. And then as we go through this, we see uh, Peter in his um, fear and pride, how he denies Jesus because he sees what's happening to Jesus in front of this court. As we go through this passage, we're going to talk about, as people, we have two types of relationships. We have relationships with each other. We'll just call that our horizontal relationships. And then we have a vertical relationship with our creator. Uh, the God that made us. And what happens many times is we focus on our horizontal relationships and we put them in a category and somehow we, we, we think that our, our horizontal relationship doesn't have anything to do, or our vertical relationship doesn't have anything to do with our horizontal relationship. And so what we have here in this court are uh, these men looking at Jesus in a horizontal way saying, You are nothing but a blasphemer to our way of life. And they don't understand. There's another um, understanding of who Jesus is. And with that comes redemption and peace and justice. But they they do not want to look at that. And then we have Peter who, who understands that vertical aspect of his relationship with God. But in the midst of the horizontal, he struggles and he fails. So really, as we look at this, we either fit into one of those two categories. We either fit in the category of, um, I'm not interested in this God that you speak of. I'm not interested in anything I cannot feel, touch, or smell, because I don't think it's real. So you take God and the claims of Scripture, and you say, they're just not important. So you might fit in that category this morning. And if you're not in that category, you're in the category of Peter, which is where I am where we understand there's this vertical relationship. We understand that God has done something for us to serve us and provide for us, but then we struggle in this part of our life, figuring out what does it really mean to understand God's grace. Because you don't do that in a vacuum. You do that in community. So in the beginning of this, we have the religious leaders, their desires to put him to death. They're not really shy about this. We had this earlier in the book of Mark that uh, their goal was to kill Jesus. Uh, We have in the beginning of chapter 14, they sought to kill Jesus. Jesus took all this slander and accusations and abuse that the religious leaders could dish out. From the beginning of the trial, the motivation was to get rid of him. 
because he was a threat to their way of life. Uh, He is coming in and saying, there is a vertical aspect to your life as a human being. And those religious leaders said, no. We have our life all organized and contained. We know what to do. We know how to control it. We don't need someone else to come in and threaten our way of life. So what we have here is this great injustice that is done to Jesus. And that's something, especially in our present day, in the last uh, 20 years, it's becoming uh, more popular, which is a good thing, of people fighting for justice and seeing an injustice and fighting against the injustice. But the real question is, why do we do that? Why do we fight for justice? Why is that a common theme in humanity that we understand something is just and then something is unjust? It's because we are made in the image of God. And God is the great judge. God is the one who is just himself. So as Jesus is dragged into this uh, mock court They know in the beginning the death sentence is what they're after. Uh, These men are not sitting down to have a conversation, and they're not teachable. They are stubborn, they are threatened, and they do not want to have anything to do with Jesus. And then they hear testimony. Uh, In the Sanhedrin, this was 70 men, and to have a, a, a quorum, to have a court, you had to have 23 And then to bring someone to trial, you had to have two witnesses. Well, the problem here is uh, these witnesses, they don't even agree. And if you're logical, if you have two witnesses and you're trying to press charges against someone, the witnesses actually have to agree. They can't even agree on what Jesus said and what he did and who he is. And they didn't find any other witnesses. You could tell they were continuing to search. Even in the story in this narrative of Jesus suffering unjustly, uh, it is a story that we all have. It's our struggle to get our way no matter what the cost. And it is something that uh, many of us love, which is being right. Uh, how many of you love being... No, we don't even raise our hands. Stay seated if you love being right. Okay. This is something we all love. When we're wrong, somehow we feel threatened. There's something in us that says, ah, and you know that feeling like something's being stripped away. And some of you have this stronger than other people, that your goal in life is to be right. But what is that thing when it begins to be stripped away? It's you understanding that there's more to life than this horizontal being right. There's something greater to life, and there's a vertical aspect to it. We define um, ourselves by being right or having a good sense of justice, of right and wrong. And we see that as, many times, sadly, a core part of who we are. I know what's right, and I do what's right, and that is part of who I am. Uh, But you you see, the, the court that Jesus went to, They had the same idea. They are fighting for what is right. And they are passionate, and they know what is right. Because as they all get together, they talk about what's the right thing to do. 
Well, the right thing to do is just to kill Jesus. And so they fight for that as a group. And they fight passionately. But they're completely unjust as they're trying to invoke justice. And this is what happens when we don't understand the aspect of our creator that created you loves you. And he made you. And he understands you. And he desires to have a relationship with you. If we forget that part, then we're just going to look around and say, who all agrees with me? Good. Let's get together and let's form a worldview. And then we'll talk about how other, every other person is wrong. Well, what happens? Well, everyone does that. So we have all these different views of the world. To properly understand justice, we need to understand God. And we need to understand God's grace. And only in grace do we understand justice. Because you see, in this court, there's no grace. It's actually the complete opposite of it. They're trying to frame Jesus because it's much easier to frame him and kill him in their mind than to deal with him and to deal with his claims. So as we all love to be right, and we think if we win an argument, then that's helpful to us. It makes us feel better as people. And you know in any relationship, uh, winning an argument usually does not solve anything. Because you're just dealing with this. You're not dealing with this at all. Because we can have an argument, and, and you can win the argument, or I can win the argument, and we don't have to deal with our heart at all. All we're going to deal with are facts and figures. We can leave our heart out of it. Isn't that so much easier? Uh, there's one level that we all pr- just would prefer that. Because then we can deal with these black and white things and we don't really have to look at ourselves and what is motivating us in having an argument. What is motivating us to pursue a false understanding of justice. James 4 talks about this. And he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? If you're someone that that is the thing that you deal with, that you love to be right, there's a greater problem than you not knowing everything. The greater problem is there's something going on in your heart that is distorting what is coming out of your mouth. We can't find our security in winning an argument of being right. We can't find our security in our, our, our passion, our justice, our proving something outwardly. There's only one place we can find our security and identity, and it is in this vertical aspect of life. This is easy to tell when you're in an argument with someone and it escalates quickly. I believe the reason why that escalates quickly is because what we do, what Peter does, is we sort of leave the vertical aspect of our life and we concentrate on the horizontal aspect of life and we say, I just want to win. I want to show you that you are wrong and I am right. And it escalates. Too much of our value is caught up um, just like this religious court in being right and getting work done. 
And the horrible thing about that is, like I said, we leave our heart out of it. Is we make it a black and white issue. Jesus wants to show us that there is a vertical aspect to our life that drives all of our horizontal relationships. Uh, We can't separate them. Uh, When you and I try to separate them, we have destruction, and we have selfishness, and we have broken marriages. We have uh, relationships that are involved in things that they shouldn't be involved in. Um, We have relationships that become uh, legalistic and controlling. All of that comes from not understanding this vertical relationship, this vertical aspect to our lives. So Jesus undertakes this great injustice. He takes this slander. He takes these accusations, and he receives them. Uh, And as you, in your life, and you think back, Uh, you probably at some level have had people accuse you of things that were hurtful, slander you. Uh, Jesus has taken all of these for you. And then the other side of the coin is, uh, we have done this to other people. We have tried to slander and frame them so we feel better. Jesus took that too. So not only did Jesus uh, take the slander that we receive, he takes the slander that we give. And he takes it. And he receives it. The only just person in that uh, courtroom was Jesus. He was the just one. But he didn't fit what justice looked like to those in the court. In the midst of these false accusations, Jesus In his humble silence, uh, he wins. Why does he win? It doesn't mean if you're quiet in an argument, you win. He wins because he knows there's a greater kingdom than the kingdom of that court. There's something greater than just winning in that courtroom. There's a greater thing. And this is his answer. The high priest asks, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds in heaven. Uh, When we are hurt, when we are accused or slandered, our first reaction is revenge. Is anger and frustration and revenge. We need to get back at that person so they know what they did. But understand what that is doing. It's treating everything in this horizontal aspect. And we forget, even if you are slandered, there's a greater court. So if you define winning as uh, revenge on someone, you really haven't won anything. You've just done the same thing they did to you. But if you define a win as being gracious, as pointing someone to their creator, as pointing to, pointing to someone what Jesus has done and the slander he received on their behalf, then that would be a win. But it looks a lot different than us merely attacking people. Jesus meets them uh, with this statement. 
He says, I am. Basically saying, I am the Messiah. You are correct. He says, the Son of Man, uh, you will see the Son of Man is seated in the right hand of power. That the suffering Messiah is coming in power. And he's coming in the clouds in heaven. Uh, He is from heaven above. He's not just a great earthly teacher that has great philosophical debating tools. He comes with a completely different view of the kingdom. So when speaking of this court, true justice is not happening in this courtroom that Jesus is in the midst of. In fact, this court is run by men who are completely unjust in their actions. Uh, The one before them couldn't be more innocent, but it matters what court that you're tried in. And Jesus is bringing them to another court. If we use our selfish desires as our court, then anything that points to our sin is wrong. Uh, Many times that's how, if we're really honest, that's how we want to live, is is I'm just going to live my life in the way I feel like I should live it, And if you confront me on the way I live my life, I am going to be very defensive, and I'm going to show you that you're wrong. No matter who you are in life, that's a temptation for all of us. But understanding that that we understand as Christians this vertical aspect of God our creator and Christ our redeemer, this drives who we are. And this drives how you and I deal with conflict. And how we deal with being slandered, how we deal with being treated unjustly, and it goes back to this relationship. But there's another court here. So in the midst of this, this is uh, Jesus is on trial, and there's men accusing Jesus. But then Jesus turns the table, and he is not the one um, who is on trial anymore. It is the high priest and the Sanhedrin. They are in trial because he has given them all the information they need to know to make a decision about who Jesus is. Because he says, I am. I am the Christ. I am coming in power, and I am sent from heaven. You have the information now. What will you do with it? And look what they do. They all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face to strike him, saying, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. They had all they need to know about who Jesus was. All the evidence was laid out before them. And their reaction was, this is too threatening. This will destroy our way of life. It is better to destroy and kill this man than to be humble and teachable before him. And you might be in that place this morning your own frustrations in life, uh, where you are presently. You might be so frustrated that there's something in you that wants to say this same thing. But we need to understand, with this evidence of who Jesus is, that drastically changes the court and the way we live. And there's a whole other court that is not just horizontal and full of public opinion. So in this horizontal and vertical nature of relationships, um, justice is displayed. So we move on to Peter. 
We, we leave the religious leaders who have no interest in any vertical aspect of life and move to Peter, who is probably more in Scripture, more like you and I than many, many people in the New Testament. He's a man who acts rashly. He's a man who uh, speaks before he thinks. And he's very passionate. He goes forward. And his failures are known. Everyone knows his failures. Peter, who struggles to understand what it means to live life with this horizontal aspect, understanding God's vertical kingdom. So Peter understands who Jesus is. He understands that God made him and created him. Peter's struggle then is not who Jesus is. Peter's struggle is, what do I do with that? How do I live that out? What does that mean? How is that a part of my everyday life? How does that drive what I do? And we see it as Peter recognizes his failure. He does not go to uh, attack those people who slandered him. His response is, he broke down and wept. In our life, we have uh, two really big choices, I think, when we are confronted with something that is hurtful, that is slanderous toward us. Uh, We can either be bitter and angry and attack back and try to win, or we can be broken, like Peter. And understand that there's more to life than just winning this argument or being right. It's really understanding of God's justice. And he is the one who is just. Isaiah 61.8 says, I, the Lord, love justice. So what does God's justice look like? In 1 John 1, nine. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is God's justice. That God sent his only son to live a perfect life and to die a perfect substitutionary death for you. And to pay the penalty of all of your sin, no matter what you have done in your life, Nothing cannot be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That is justice. That is mighty, life-changing justice. Think of it this way. So in that verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. He is just that he has to forgive our sin because of what Christ has done and our faith in that. He has to. The other side of it is, God cannot punish you again for your sin because Jesus paid for all of it. That's justice. And that's gracious justice. It's something we do not deserve. So as we look at our horizontal relationship with people, our, how, uh, how the culture around us is transformed, we always need to have a grasp of God's kingdom. And there's something greater than just trying to transform what is around us. Listen to this quote from uh, James Smith. He writes on 
in uh, Comet Magazine. It is a dangerous thing to acquire a theology of cultural transformation but lose an eschatology. Too many Christians who are newly convinced about the implications of the gospel for society act as if they are the ones who need to secure the kingdom. To pray, thy kingdom come, is liberating precisely because while it calls us to participate in what God is doing in the world, it also reminds us that God alone in his providence is bringing about the consummation of all things. Winning an argument is not a life-changing thing. The life-changing thing is trusting in God to transform someone else. But the first thing that we need to see transformed is ourselves. And that is only done trusting in Jesus and letting him transform us. And it hurts and it's hard. And that's why we all do it together. Because we all struggle and learn what does it mean to walk in God's mercy and justice throughout our day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful, that you are just. We thank you that we are set free and forgiven only because of Jesus. We thank you that you do not um, uh, tell us we have to be much better people to be accepted. Uh, You know we are exactly like Peter. And you say with your loving arms that we are your children. And we hold to that and we pray that we would be transformed. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we are sent out, we're sent out with a message of hope and peace. And that message is, Jesus is the one who wins. He is the one who is right. His kingdom reigns forever. We don't have to fight for our own kingdom. His is the one who lasts. So please receive God's word as you leave. And may the Lord himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. Amen.